We're not here just to win an election. We are here to win something for our country. Hello, this is the Watercooler Forum. I'm Nick Cater from the Menzies Research Centre. There are few things that delight me more in this job than hearing our work described as controversial by the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. If you find yourselves at odds with the ABC, it's a sign in my book of a job well done. But to find ourselves in dispute with the Australian Law Reform Commission, however, is quite a different thing altogether. The big story in legal circles this week is that a submission by the Menzies Research Centre made to the Commission's inquiry into judicial impartiality has been censored. Yes, right, censored. The Commission alleges that our report is defamatory and have refused to accept it. We say that it emphatically is not. Our submission is a dispassionate, well-researched document that furnishes the Commission with empirical evidence of apprehended bias in some decisions by some federal court judges in matters of workplace law. Now, there's a clear difference, of course, between the apprehension of bias and actual bias. They're very different things. But the bottom line is this. If the public is to retain its trust in our judicial system, the system must not only be fair, but must be seen to be fair. Well, one thing in this quite puzzling decision by the Commission demonstrates is that your support for the MRC's Justice and Integrity Programme is making an impact. Some in the legal sector have made it clear they don't want our voice to be heard. Well, in this Water Cooler Forum, we'll be discussing what's in the report, which you can download, incidentally, from our website, and discuss the significance of what's happened. Later, I'll be joined by Chris Merritt, Vice President of the Rule of Law Institute and a contributor to The Australian. First, however, James Matthias will take us through the report and give us a summary of what it says. Recently, the Menzies Research Centre made a submission to the Australian Law Reform's inquiry into judicial impartiality. At the heart of our submission, we did a survey of the Australian people to understand their sentiment towards the way judges are deciding. And what we found was that 82% of them were concerned that judges were maybe making decisions based on uh, areas other than a strict interpretation of the law. And most importantly, 26% of those people indicated that they were very concerned about this. Part of our submission was a process to undertake and analyse 271 employment-related cases decided by the federal court over a two-year period. And we took those 271 cases and distilled them down into 109 uh, cases of substantive law. Now, taken as a collective over the 33 judges of the federal court, we found that the results were as you would expect. Judges were deciding equally between unions and employers. But where our analysis got interesting was when we looked at individual judges and their individual decision rates. For example, um, we found that Justice Bromwich found in favour of employers over unions 80% of the time whereas Justice White found with employers over unions in 75% of the cases that he saw. On the other side of the ledger, judges who sided with the unions, um, who stood out siding with the unions, were Justice Reeves at 80% and Justice Bromberg in 91% of the cases that he heard over the two-year period. The second part of our submission focused in on the way that claims of apprehended bias are currently made, whereby we were shocked, like the Australian people we surveyed, to learn that if you're a party before, before a proceeding in a case and you want to make an application because you believe that that judge may be biased against you, you have to make an application to that judge and then that judge themselves needs to determine whether they are biased or not. In the same survey of the Australian people, we found that only 5% agreed that that is a process that should stand and rather an overwhelming majority of Australians agreed with the position that the Menzies Research Centre puts across, that in fact this process needs reforming and updating such that it's decided by a legal panel of experts or another judge. 
Well, thanks, James. Well, joining us to discuss that is Chris Merritt, Vice President of the Rule of Law Institute and a contributor writing on legal affairs to the Australian. Chris, welcome to this water cooler discussion. Coming off the back of what James has just taken us through in terms of what's in the report, the, the Australian Law Reform Commission has refused to accept that submission on the ground that it's uh, defamatory, so they say. What's your assessment? Well, I've, I've had a good look at it, and this is not defamatory. It doesn't come within a bull's roar of being defamatory. It's a sober, calm, statistical analysis. And the numbers, some people might see that they might be a little bit embarrassed by what the numbers say, but it's, it's reality. It's just reflecting reality. Um, if anything, there should be more of this. I, I, I think this is a step in the right direction. Um, far from censoring it and refusing to put it on the Law Reform Commission's website, I think it should be published and it should definitely be featured in the final report. It hits matters right on the head that need to be addressed. James, the, the irony of what the Australian Law Reform Commission has done in banning this report, essentially censoring it, is that it is probably the best read and best discussed submission to the whole inquiry. That's right. Um, certainly, uh, people have been flocking to our website to read uh, the submission, which is a great thing. And look, Chris makes the point, the better, uh, the more the public has to see in terms of these statistics, they can better scrutinise the decisions made by judges. And that's all we're advocating for here is that uh, judicial officers be given the opportunity to take what we've done as a template and provide the public with better access to real-time data on the way judges are making decisions. I mean, we're not saying this is the be-all and end-all of this inquiry. It's a submission, right? It's in there for the discussion. And uh, fortunately, because it's come to the forefront in this way, it is now being discussed. People are welcome to disagree with it, right, Chris? I mean, they're, 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 there are grounds on which people can reasonably disagree over over this report. That's that's the whole point. I, I think this is a this exercise is um, a very valuable step in the right direction. The the commission itself, in its background material, discusses briefly, but it does discuss the use of statistical analysis on uh, judicial decisions. The uh, the Law Council of Australia uh, thinks that's a great move. In their submission, which is published, um, they go into this a little bit and they say, well, look, the, the judiciary um, hasn't yet accepted this. That is, statistical analysis as an indicator of uh, apparent bias. But they say, well, this is not going to encourage community confidence in the judiciary. And it's about time that this was given a proper look. So what they're getting at, the Law Council is giving a big tick to the use of statistical analysis of judicial decisions. This is something that should be front and centre in the final report. It's no good just sort of spiking um, your submission because it might be embarrassing to uh, someone. Um, this is hard, hard statistical data. If there's uh, any concern that, about the methodology, that should be discussed. If there's a better way of doing it, that should be examined. And the, the, the thing that's quite surprising is that the Commission itself, uh, one of its proposals is that the Attorney General should publish annual data about the judiciary. But the way I look at it, it's, uh, this data is fairly irrelevant if the whole point is to encourage community confidence. They're talking about things like the ethnicity of the judiciary and the gender of the judiciary. Yeah. That's pretty insulting. That, that imp implies that if you're a, uh, uh, an Anglo-Indian from uh, Darwin, you can't get a decent hearing unless you appear before an Anglo-Indian judge from Darwin. Or the same applies to women. Can, can women uh, not have confidence in the judiciary because there are uh, insufficient females on the, on the bench? I don't think so. 
So it's not that they don't recognise the value of data. They they clearly do. They're just collect, connecting or collecting it on. Uh, let, let's say that's a reasonable thing to collect it on if they think it is, but they're not using that same tool of data to ensure that the courts are not only fair but are seen to be fair. Is that your analysis? It should be relevant data and uh, data about judicial decisions, not about the uh, colour of judges' eyes or uh, whether they wear a dress or not. I mean, that's that's pretty irrelevant. Uh, uh, male judges, female judges can make decisions about men. I mean, no one's ever said they can't. Uh, so what's the point? I mean, the judiciary is not a representative body. It's not elected, thank goodness. It's there to do a job. They're functionaries. They apply the law impartially. It's not that they bring their own um, uh, political views to bear, or they shouldn't bring their political views to bear. If they operate properly, hmm. they simply discharge a function. Yeah, so I mean, conducting gender audits, um, sexuality audits, ethnic audits, whatever. But those are, you know, they're, they're quite common now in some institutions, but it, should be, James, shouldn't it, totally irrelevant to judges? Because if judges truly are impartial, acting only according to what the law says uh, and meeting out justice fairly, um, then there's no suggestion that they're going to be biased because they happen to come from one culture or another or one gender. Now, surely that's uh, you as, as, as the layman. Is that the way you'd see it? Well, precisely, Nick, but just think about what the title is of this inquiry that's been launched. It's into judicial impartiality. And that's the heart of what we're going to here, because within our submission that we made, we also did a survey of the Australian community. And we found that 82% of Australians are actually concerned that judges are making decisions based on things that aren't a strict interpretation of the law. Now, people aren't concerned that the judges are male or female or, or um, what race they are, people are actually concerned that judges may be making decisions based on uh, things that aren't that strict interpretation of the law. And I mean, the fundamental to Australia's success is the separation of powers. And the public must therefore have confidence in the fact that their judiciary are independent, aren't political. And, you know, if we go back 10 years ago, remember Greenpeace put out that famous document where they solicited donations to be able to use Australian courts to stop mining projects because they say, we'll hold them up in the courts uh, and we'll erode invest investor confidence and we'll make sure these projects don't go ahead. So we're acutely aware that our courts continue to be used for activist purposes. And right now it's important at this critical juncture with that knowledge to make sure that the public does have the confidence that justice is being done and being seen to be done. Hmm. Look, I will just explain, and Chris, you'll be aware of this, but I'll explain it for you too, that how the sausage is made, if you like, within the Menzies Research Centre. So we have uh, a, 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 the, the Justice and Integrity Program, which we've been running for some while. Um, James is the coordinator of that. James, uh, you recall in a, in a previous uh, submission we made, this time to a parliamentary inquiry, uh, you, you were drawn before that inquiry you had to answer questions all right and proper but one of the things of course they threw at you is the obvious thing what are your credentials uh, so let's get this on the table and then ask what the whether that matters so james uh, you you do you have a degree in the law in in law and have you ever practiced in law but you're a you're a, a very smart bloke i know that you've been working for us for some time and i wouldn't uh you know, I have every confidence in putting you as coordinator of this project and indeed taking a lead role in compiling the report, albeit, and we should emphasise, with input from a lot of very, very uh, qualified and intelligent people who are um, senior figures in the legal profession, right? But shouldn't this be a point that, that be made that somebody that's not a lawyer and hasn't worked in the sector can write reports and, and find key areas of which the law is um, uh, left wanting and some some arrangements, whether it be class action, third-party litigation funders. It seems to me to emphasise the point that somebody without a law degree and have not having practice in the area can identify these glaring areas um, in which we need to make reform and actually produce reports to parliamentary inquiries or 
Australian Law Reform Commission um, inquiries uh, like like this one. Yeah, that's right. And, and in fact, I go so far as to say for a, a public policy research centre like ours, it's far better to have somebody like yourself, maybe put it this way, you get a very good perspective bringing in somebody who's not part of the legal profession because it, in the it end... Reminds, it reminds me, Nick, of that famous, that famous quote, you know, you go into the doctors and you yourself won't be operated on by a doctor who they themselves hasn't broken their leg. Exactly, exactly. So this is the point, Chris, let's put this to you. In the end, even though the court, the judges probably don't like it, uh, thinking that they're on into some higher realm of legal expertise, the bottom line is uh, the judgments of the court have to pass the pub test, right? Mm, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, judges, the judiciary draws its legitimacy from public confidence. Uh, they, they don't force people to comply with their rulings. People comply with their rulings because generally, over not generally, overwhelmingly, the community has great public confidence, confidence in the Australian judiciary. And it strikes me that if there's concern about impartiality, that needs to be addressed quite quickly and quite persuasively. Because the last thing we want is for the community to lose trust in a, a, an arm of government, because that's what the judiciary is. It's an arm of government, and it's very important that it be absolutely squeaky clean. The, the, the point that I really I find quite annoying is that by censoring the submission from the Menzies Research Centre, the Law Reform Commission has actually diverted attention from the fact that the Menzies Centre and the Law Reform Commission agree on the, the key proposal in, in this inquiry, and that is that questions about the impartiality or bias of a particular judge should not be decided by that judge. It should be decided by somebody else. Mm. And that seems to me to be one of the, the great changes that could be made, and we're not even discussing it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. It's a, it's a retrograde move by the Commission. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm James will talk to this. I'm sure we were, you know... We, you, we, you know, you could have knocked us down with a feather when their letter came through because the point is, like, we, you know, we, we admire and respect what the Australian Law Reform Commission does. Uh, and in, in, past, in past reports we've put out, we've, we've gone and used uh, as a key resource reports that they have done because we are on the same side. We both want, uh, you know, a fair uh, justice system that's accessible to all, all those things that we, we think the justice... So... That's right, isn't it, James? We, we, we didn't expect this reaction. Not at all, especially because the report itself, the submission itself is so dispassionate. It's so fact-based. And it just seems to me like a reaction has been caused because the exercise has been being done. Everybody was in furious agreement, apparently, that the exercise needed to be done. We did the exercise, and now it's all of a sudden a big hoo-ha. And... And for us sitting where we were, all we were trying to ever do was move towards that common goal of um, having real-time reporting. But as Chris says as well, I mean, I was shocked writing the report and everybody else that I spoke to about it is incredibly shocked to learn that essentially judges have the same process by determining applications of bias as the ABC insofar as they hear it and they determine themselves whether they are biased. And the ALRC actually put out seven um, background papers to this inquiry when they launched it, and they're all very detailed and very good research. And a lot of that research actually encompasses blind spot, biased blind spot. You know, there was this study in the United States of people in the medical um, profession that found that 84% of them said that their colleagues were influenced by uh, donations and gifts from pharmaceutical companies but then only 20% of them thought that they themselves were uh, influenced by this. So uh, the papers go into a lot of detail and, and a lot of um, detailed submission into the fact that most generally people can't identify their own biases. So to have a process in Australia where if you're a party in a proceeding before a court and you have a, a case to make that the judge will be, there's an apprehension of bias against the judge, have that judge themselves determine whether they're biased or not certainly doesn't seem to me like it should be something that stands. And we also did some research uh, um, into community sentiment on this. 
and we found that only 5% of Australians thought that that is a process which should stand as well. I'm sorry to move in the realm of speculation, Chris, but we're forced to because we've asked the Commission to elaborate and so far they haven't at the time of recording this discussion anyway. So we, we, we just don't know. We're struggling to see what lies behind this. But I wonder um, if there's a, you know, a simple thing happening here that uh, like any profession, you know, like teachers, like, like doctors, like, you know, journalists, I guess, um, you, you tend to become a bit of a club. You tend to think that you're the people that know how to do it and nobody else has any right to intervene. And you can imagine that with the judiciary, that's you know, even stronger because they've, you know, they've, they've showed themselves to be generally men and women of, of great uh, professional standing. That's what we'd hope to get into those senior positions. Is it simply that? And do you find this, you know, as a, as a journalist, um, you know, if you've never practiced at the bar, I don't believe you have anyway, or anything at that level, but there's a natural resentment for anybody from outside pointing out um, flaws in the system. Look, I think that could be a factor, but um, I'm more inclined to, uh, to look at it this way. If, if there's a choice between a conspiracy and a stuff-up, um, go for the stuff-up. Um, Sarah Derrington, the head of the commission, is a, a very substantial person, and I'd be startled if this was her decision. This strikes me as the decision of somebody... Um, who is afraid to uh, to make the right decision, um, and the right decision would be to let this go up on the website. Um, it's I, I'd, I'd be stunned. I, I expect that this will come up at the next uh, hearing of the Senate Estimates uh, Committee, and we might find out a little bit more then. But it, it's just so out of character with uh, Justice Derrington. Um, that I that's that's my suspicion. Uh, it's only a suspicion that uh, it's somebody uh, trying to appease or preempting um, uh, uh, possible criticism. Let me put it that way. Mm. Well, clearly, uh, and and this has been said expressly of some of the reports uh, or some of our submissions critics. Uh, the use of data in this way is clearly something uh, some not everybody welcomes. And yet the fact is, this is a data-led world now, more and more data-rich. And we know, you know, in, in the field of medicine, for instance, how the availability of a lot more data than we ever had freely available in real time has, has helped us get a COVID vaccine in place, helped us deal with the whole process. Um, it's the same in uh, most of what we now do in the think tank world. Um, we want data because Data is, is evidence. It's something firm you can discuss. Uh, there seems to be a resistance in the judiciary. Um, do you sense that? Yes. Um, it's, it's, it's created a huge opening for troublemaking journalists, actually. Um, my, uh, my good friend Nicola Berkovic um, has been able to track down a few judges who have been continually overturned on appeal. Um, and she's had a great, great deal of fun doing it. Uh, my preference, however, would be for this sort of material to be assembled um, impartially, uh, not by the judiciary themselves, but by uh, somebody else, some other institution. Um, and if there's a debate about how it should be done, about uh, whether there needs to be multiple footnotes and uh, qualifications, well, go ahead and do it. I mean, we've got a Productivity Commission that um, is able to produce voluminous reports on the justice system, um, and it was not an easy process. That started out a little bit... There was a rocky beginning, but the judiciary had a lot to say about it, and from my perch, uh, I haven't seen too many recent concerns about the the annual reports by the Productivity Commission on the justice system. Mm. So maybe that's the way to go. Maybe the Productivity Commission should expand its remit um, with consultation from the judiciary, of course. We are dealing... I mean, I think we have to be careful, I mean, because we're dealing with, uh, you know, human beings here. Human beings uh, passing judgment on other human beings always going to be subjective. There's all sorts of factors involved. So 
you've got to be careful. But having said that, you know, if if there is evidence that one particular uh, uh, person, one particular member of the judiciary's decisions are overturned repeatedly, it's got to be a measure of of the fact that um, they're out of step with um, you know the common law, with, and therefore with community values. Right, that's a fair judgment to make. Yeah, and there should be nothing to be ashamed about. I mean, mm. they're, they're, it should be public information. And just because, I should make this point, that just because someone is overturned doesn't mean to say that they're incompetent. It just might mean that they, there's a difference about which way the law should go. Um, uh, it, it could mean, however, that they are incompetent. Um, and that that's why this needs to be dealt with seriously it can't simply be ignored it's we've come too far we've got uh, legal academics uh, discussing the use of uh, statistical analysis we've got the law council um, on board saying let's look further at this um, i think this is the way to go i think you you've you however uh, have um, uh, prodded the bear shall we say and uh, uh, you've got the debate rolling. It can't be ignored anymore. Well, that's good, eh, James? That's what we try and do at Minister's Research Centre. <laughs> Precisely, Nick. Exactly right. And I, d I just want to make the point as well that um, I really don't like the um, imputation here that um, in some way this statistical analysis is, is defamatory by purpose because far be it from me starting this process months ago, sitting there thinking, oh, I know that, Justice Bromberg, Bromberg is going to be at a certain end and Justice White and Justice Flick's going to be here. I didn't know that. And trust me, it's not a task somebody undertakes in their spare time to go over 271 employment-related cases over two years. Um, it's quite a long and detailed process where you have to determine um, the way cases are going. And, and it's within that analysis that we've just um, drawn the, the conclusions, not even conclusions. We have just outlaid it as a matter of fact and people are, are left to determine from themselves based on those figures what the conclusions are but more than anything what we did it was as a model to provide to the alrc it's perhaps something that they could take forward into the future um you know to to, to have it said now that in fact this whole submission had a sinister tone to it even before we produced it i, I just can't get over no, it makes no sense to me. But I guess, though, we understand, you know, we are in the research game, so we understand what public policy research is about. And it's not about prosecuting a case X or Y. It is about research, right? So if you'd, if you'd have found that, let's say, that every judge was, you know, 50% on one side, 50% on the other, look, you know, to all intents and purposes fair, that's what the submission would have said right we're only we're only saying what the data says that's that's exactly correct nick and we would have said look um the public should have reason to have more confidence in judges because you can um, produce these figures and show them the judges are citing either way mm. um and, and that would have been a, a, an outcome and, and just like this one is an outcome there's actually no difference in between the two of them only the the statistics speak for themselves mm. so I think here we get to the heart of the matter. Why do we? Why are we doing this? Why is it so important? Because we think it is, you know, in a, at, at a high level, this is it's probably nothing more important than the Men's Research Centre could engage itself in the work of this kind because it's about securing confidence in the judiciary, which is a fundamental element of our civil society. Without it, uh, you know, a big, there, we, we're in big trouble. So... I might get you just, Chris, to ex just first of all, can you unpack what we mean by apprehended bias? Because we should make clear we are talking about apprehended mm -hmm. bias. And why, first of all, what, what is apprehended bias? What's the test for it? And why is it so important that we, uh, uh, we don't have apprehended bias in the judicial system? It, it's, uh, it's almost in the eye of the beholder. Uh, and it's very difficult for that, um, because of that, for the judges concerned to identify themselves. And that's why the, uh, the commission has come up with their proposal to 
offload it to somebody else to, uh, to to bring a degree of objectivity to these decisions. These are critical decisions. Uh, the the fact that uh, in some of the some of the um, background material that the commissions put out, they cite one case where uh, a particular federal circuit court judge um, dealt with 254, I think was the number, 254 migration matters, and in 100% of them um, found against the uh, the applicant. Uh, that, that was not considered sufficient to raise uh, an apprehension of bias. Now, I might tend to disagree with that, and I think uh, Joe Public out in the street might tend to disagree with that, but that's the law at the moment. And I think that... Uh, that is what we're butting up against. We've got law and uh, the common sense of the public. If, if the community were told that your case is going to come before a judge who over 254 cases, similar cases, has ruled against the applicant, how would you feel? Mm. Uh, would there be an apprehension of bias? Uh, I, I think the answer is yes. So it's a, it's a serious matter. And if the judiciary is is serious about maintaining public confidence, they need to grapple with this. It's It doesn't surprise me that there's been a little bit of resistance. When the Productivity Commission years ago first started to assemble uh, statistics uh, showing the nation's slowest courts, uh, there was uproar in the judiciary, uh, a complete uproar. But the Productivity Commission took on board those concerns and their, those objections. There are all sorts of factors that go to delaying a case. Not It doesn't necessarily go to the incompetence of a judge or uh, a, a bloated, inefficient bureaucracy. Uh, there might be interlocutory rulings, for example. And there might be in, uh, similar, explainable, rational reasons why um, decisions go a particular way. Um, and they need to be taken on board. This is not a simple matter. And the Law Council has accepted this and recognised it. And they've, they've pointed out that if we are going to go down this track of having just a, 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 another judge look at questions of objectivity and lack of bias, there needs to be resourcing. It needs to be properly resourced. So I'd, I'd say the uh, statistical side of things needs to be properly resourced as well. It's not an easy job, as James clearly knows now, um, but it needs to be done. It's, yep. it's, it's too important. This is the federal judiciary we're talking about. Chris, thank you. I, I might, before we close, I just want to acknowledge, uh, James, your contribution um, in this report. I think you've made a great contribution to the public debate, as we've seen today. Uh, and, um, Chris calls it uh, colloquially poking the bear. I tend to think of it as provoking a, a discussion on solid policy matters. You've certainly done that. Thank you very much for doing that, James. Thank you, Nick. Uh, absolute pleasure. And Chris, thank you once again for joining us and bringing some clarity on matters legal. Not a problem, Nick. Well, thank you. Thank you for watching. Uh, as I mentioned, we this is part of our justice and integrity program. We've, If you go to our website, you you can go to the Justice and Integrity page and see what we've done. We've actually had some, some considerable success in this in terms of actually changing policy uh, in some quite important areas already. Please go and check that out and, and see that we're serious about this. We're, we're in here to change public policy towards the law to make it fairer, freer, more transparent and, and it builds trust, even greater trust in what is, I think, a great legal system by any standards. So if you can contribute to that, then you can go to our website, www.menziesrc.org. You can go to the subscription page and subscribe from just $10 a month, one way you can support us, or you can jump straight to the donation page. All donations to the Menzies Research Centre are tax deductible in Australia. Uh, and uh, we'd really be grateful for the support so we can carry on this important work and get into the next phase of it. Uh, otherwise, all it requires for me to say is once again, thank Chris for joining us, thank James, and thank you for watching.
you've been listening to another water cooler conversation brought to you by the Menzies Research Centre. We'd like to bring you many more, of course, and you can help us by subscribing from just $10 a month. Go to www.menziesrc.org slash subscribe. I'm Nick Cater, and thank you for listening. Music.